0: Morning. We are back in the Gospel of Matthew. If you have a copy of the Bible, you can open it up to Matthew chapter 6, right in the middle of this great sermon that is not my sermon, but Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, that we've been in for a handful of weeks. And the big idea, just uh, to restate in this sermon, is Jesus is trying to talk about the righteousness of God, very big word in his Bible, the Old Testament, and he's trying to, to unpack it in this great sermon, the righteousness of God, another way of saying it is, that what does it mean to have a right relationship with God, right? <clears throat> That's what the word righteousness means, what does it mean to have a right relationship with God? So it's very important, and Jesus wants to it, compare in this great sermon, in many different ways, the difference between a given righteousness, right, this is the heart of the gospel message, it's not what you can do for yourself, it's what God does for you, it's about what he gives to you, Jesus, God sent his son to give us something we could not get on our own, this is redemption in Jesus, so it's a given righteousness versus a do-it-yourself kind of righteousness, which was what was being practiced in Jesus' day uh, a lot, and I would say in our own as well, and Jesus wants to talk about that, because this do-it-yourself kind of righteousness, the, you know, um, you know, righteousness from the outside in, you just kind of work your way, model your behavior to try to do what it is that God says you should do from the outside in, it doesn't really work, it doesn't touch the heart. It doesn't change the motivations, and it ends up giving you the exact opposite of what you want. Instead of drawing you closer to God, it it weighs you down, it poisons your heart, it it kind of almost destroys you if you work at it very hard. That's what Jesus is talking about. So chapter 5, which we went over the last several weeks, we talked about uh, this righteousness, the contrast in both personal ethics, and social ethics. And he went into some of the Ten Commandments, murder and adultery and verbal integrity and things like that. And here in chapter 6, he's going to talk about this righteousness as it's expressed in the practice of our faith. Okay, that's what he's going to talk about here in uh, chapter 6. So if you have a copy of the Bible... Um, uh, Matthew chapter 6, we'll read verse uh, 6, chapter 6, verse 1, and then 5 through 15 in a message titled, Real Faith. How does this righteousness work itself out in the practice of our faith? Matthew 6, 1 says these words, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues. Excuse me, I'm verse 5. Sorry, I'm skipping. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues on the street corners. Do be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you go pray, uh, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven... Your sins. Now there's two really great hindrances, you might say, in this passage, this whole chapter. We won't look at it all today. But there are two that, that are t- called out here that, that can keep you and keep me from experiencing the life that God is offering in this sermon, right? The life you've always wanted and dreamed somewhere was true. That is, what would life look like? if it was lived under the authority of God, the life that God has come to give us, right? And the two great hindrances are these. The first one is, is finding, thinking that you can find um, security in money and what money can buy, right? And we talk about that next week. That's not today's sermon, but that's the first thing. The second thing, which is more to the point of the passages we're looking at today in the practice of our faith, is your desire, my desire, to want to live for other people's approval, right? This desire, I mean, we, we don't, it doesn't come into our lives. We sort of wake up with it. It's kind of almost part of human nature, and it's, 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 it's exacerbated. It's, it's peaked and heightened in the culture that we live, that I want to, whatever it is that I do, including the practice of my faith, I'm doing to get your approval, to get your notice, so that you might draw, I might draw attention to myself. You might draw attention to yourself in the practice of your faith. And what Jesus is going to say, particularly in this area of prayer is going to say, listen, you got to get this right, because you're either going to live for the notice of others or the notice of God, right? And you cannot do both, and if you do the former, it's going to weigh you down, it's going to rob you of the experience that I want to ha- you to have for your life, and you will never achieve. It will be the thing that stands in between you and having the life uh, that the faith that you express is designed to bring, okay? So he's gonna talk about three practices in this passage, both giving of to the poor, giving to the needy, fasting and prayer, but I'm focusing just on prayer for sake of time, and the first point I wanna say, what would be true of all of these three, though, is real faith is rooted in God as Father, right? Real faith, Jesus wants to say, in this prayer that um, has become so famous, but I'm afraid that we've often, uh, we, many of us have, you know, it's become so familiar that it's lost its true meaning. But what Jesus wants to say is real faith is rooted in God as Father. Now before he wants to talk about the right way to pray... He wants to, as he's done in the rest of this sermon, he wants to talk about the wrong way. And he mentions in the very first verse I read, but he says it both in verse 1 and verse 5, you know, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. They want to be seen by others, right? That's the motivation. Be careful of that motivation. And those three words, to be seen, is actually one Greek word, theathenae in Greek, which actually is the word where we get the word theater from. And Jesus is saying, listen, there's kind of a theatrical righteousness, right, that is done to draw attention to yourself, to kind of earn points, not only to earn points with others, right? That's why we act, you know, we play act in a manner of speaking. I want you to notice me, in this case, even notice how I live out my faith, how I practice my Christianity. I want to draw attention to myself, not only to earn points with others, but more importantly, I think to this passage to earn points with God right He's really challenging this theology because it's very dangerous. He calls them hypocrites many times, but when we often think, I think the word hypocrite means the same thing today as it meant you know, 2,000 years ago. It means people that essentially are you know, play-acting, they're deceiving. There's, what they're doing out here right, in their everyday life is, is not in line with what's going on in here. They're, they're play-acting for a purpose. But I think the deception that Jesus is pointing out here isn't so much that I'm trying to get one over on you, it's a self-deception, right? It's thinking that I can earn points with God. In fact, how this whole sermon ends, that is the Sermon on the Mount, the conclusion of the matter, verses uh, 21 and through 23, of, uh, we won't look there, but in, in the end of, of Jesus' uh, sermon here, it says, listen, not everyone that comes to me, summary words. You know, when everything is said and done, Lord, Lord, we, you know, we want to enter into the kingdom of heaven, and 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 uh, because not everyone that comes to me and says, Lord, they're going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Only those who do the will of God. And He says, many will come to me, however, and will say, Lord, haven't we done this? And haven't we done that? And haven't we prophesied in Your name? Haven't we done all these things in Your name? Haven't we practiced the faith in the right way? Prayed right? And He says, listen. I don't even know who you are, right? Get away from me, right? That's what Jesus says. So what Jesus is saying here is there's a danger, even in the practice of our faith, even this morning for some of us in this manner of speaking, where we think we're doing something, we're growing closer to God, we're experiencing God's righteousness, and we're not at all, right? Prayer is not about getting God's attention, You know, don't keep praying and babbling like the pagans. They think more is more. And as if, verse 8, you know, don't be like them for your father already knows what you need before you ask him. One writer I like said this, prayer is not an intelligence briefing with God. It's an intelligent conversation with God. But it's not going to be an intelligent conversation with God if God is not your father, right? if God is your boss, if God is your is someone that you need to convince, someone's attention that you need to get someone who for whom you need to earn points with, don't forget about me if that's who you're worshiping. Jesus says, listen, that's a self-deception. God is a father. And in, in, in prayer is, is in a conversation with him. And that prayer, my prayer, your prayer, is based out of a spiritual connectedness, right? That you have with a father who loves you. Thirteen times in the great sermon on the mount, Jesus uses the word, the idea of father. Because he wants the disciples, he wants you and me to understand what this is really all about. God is as father, right? It's the basis of my relationship with God. The basis of your relationship with God is that he loves you. He sent his one and only son into the world so that you and I could become a forever son and a forever daughter of God. And that's, the, that's hello in the prayer language of Jesus, right? I mean, if you miss that, if I miss that, that I am what I am. I'm here today. I'm a Christian today because God, the creator of the universe, is my father. And through Jesus Christ, I have become his son. You have become his daughter, not because of anything that you have done, but because of what he has done for you. He has made you. He's the perfect father and he's made you his daughter. He's made you his son. That's the basis of everything that you you and I do. Those of you who have children, I would imagine if you've raised children, some of you have young kids, right? There are times when your little kids, right, when your girls, they think, they, they worship you almost as a parent, right? They, they, they think that you're the smartest person. They think that you're the wisest person. They think that you are the, the strongest person, the bravest person, and those are wonderful years, right, when your kids think that. Now, but eventually... There are times when your kids don't worship you. They want to avoid you at all costs. And sometimes, not for everyone, you have kids and they grow up and they for a season they kind of, they don't like you. They even sort of despise you, right, as a mom or as a dad. Yes, I got a yes over here. Yeah, okay. (laughs) But here's what I would say. You ask yourself this question if that's you, if you've raised kids. Some of you are raising kids. I don't think you love them any less. It's harder sometimes to love a a kid who wants to avoid you or despises you, but you don't love them any less. And some would even say when your kids are going through the hardest times, you actually love them more, okay? That's what the Bible's saying. That's what it means to have um, God as father. And unless you understand him as God as father, unless your faith is rooted in that, not in a bad day, all the time, in good times. If God is not seen as Father, you and I will never have the courage and the ability to ask for what we need to live the Christian life. I, someone sent me this um, uh, story, it's interesting, a guy named Brandon Spikes. I don't know if you know Brandon Spikes, professional football player, linebacker, four years for the uh, New England Patriots uh, you know, winning Super Bowl team. And he had four great years there And his last year was one of his best And it was, on, it was his impression His understanding, his belief that because his stats were so good, he was going to make the Pro Bowl. And what the Pro Bowl is, those of you who don't know this, many, most of you do, but the Pro Bowl, happens every year, happened a few weeks ago, is done for, it recognizes individual contributions as a player. Even if your team's you know, not in the playoffs and they've only won a few games, it doesn't matter. They recognize the best linebacker and the best quarterback and the best center and the best defenseman. It's, it's an individual um, award. And he was under the impression because of the year that he was going to make the Pro Bowl. And it turned out that he did not get chosen. And he was hanging his head, he tells the story. He was in the locker room and was so discouraged that this football player was crying. Now he tells the story. Okay? I'm not telling a story on him. He tells the story. And he said while he was trying to manage that Tom Brady, the quarterback of the New England Patriots, who's almost 20 years older than everyone else on the team, kind of a father figure, he came over to him and he said, listen, Brandon, he said, we don't work this hard to play in the Pro Bowl, right? It's kind of a, it's not a very serious game. He says, get it together. Get your head up. We do this to win a ring right? That's why we do it. And this is what Brandon said. That's when I knew what kind of environment I was in, how blessed I was, right? That he had somebody like that uh, as a father figure. Now, I know that's a weak uh, (laughs) example, okay? The great father, right? Tom Brady. But it makes the point, okay? It makes the point, that you serve a god you serve a god i serve a god who is the creator of the universe right he's the redeemer he's the you talk about a great quarterback he's the guy who created the world he hung it on nothing he made the stars also he made you he knows every thought before you have it right and he loves you and one of his greatest desires is that you and i Become everything that He's designed us to become. Get your head up, right? There's bigger things to do, right? And if you root your life in Me, with Me, without Me, Jesus said you can do nothing. But with Me, you can do all things. Now, true story. At the end of that sermon, last sermon, this guy comes up to me and he says, "Listen, I got something for you. It might help your sermon." I said, "What?" and he gives me a 2017 New England Patriots Super Bowl ring, okay? I said, are you kidding me? I said, first of all, I don't know if that's real, but you don't want to give this to me, first of all. He said, no, I trust you. I know where to find you, okay? (laughs) So the lesson is you never know who's going to be in church on a given Sunday, okay? Real faith is rooted in God is Father. Second thing this passage will tell us real faith grows by a bigger yes to God's authority, right? This is a model prayer, by the way. This prayer wasn't meant to be, you know, this sort of um, thing you just say over and over again. Obviously, Jesus corrected that, right? Don't go on babbling like the pagans do. He'll say it, I think, later in Matthew. Do, it's not vain repetition. God already knows what you want before you ask him. He's not looking for an information report. He's looking for an intelligent conversation. He wants to talk about your desires and your fears and about what he wants to do in response to those things, okay? Real faith grows out of a bigger yes to God. And when we pray these words, verse 10, it starts with God, right? Hella would be your name. If you can't lift your head up below, above your own problems and your own capacities, you're never going to get anywhere, right? Hella would be your name. But then it's the request Your kingdom come, your will be done. When we pray for God's kingdom to come, we are not, you know, establishing his kingdom. You know, like it's, 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 it's around the corner and we're praying that it comes, okay? God's kingdom is here. Right? Jesus says his very first sermon, we looked at it a month ago or so, right? repent for the kingdom of God has come. Right? We're not pray- we're not, we don't establish God's kingdom, but when we pray this prayer, we are inviting God's kingdom into not only the world, but into our hearts. We're saying, listen, there are other powers at work in the world. We know that. And there are other powers and authorities at work in your own life and in my own life. Right? And when you say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, what we're asking for, because God does not force himself on anybody, is we're saying, listen, I want your power and your authority to have sway in my life. Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus says these words. Then Jesus came and said, this is to his disciples at the Great Commission, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now go, right? This is what he's talking about. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, is authority. In praying this prayer, verse 10, this one pastor I really admire said this. He said, Matthew 6.10 is one of the hardest and most important prayers a Christian can pray if you're serious about your faith. Because what it's really saying, it's praying for God's will to be done. And he said, really, what defines a disciple? What is a disciple of Jesus? What is a follower of Jesus? A follower of Jesus, when it really gets down to where the rubber meets the road, is someone who decides they want to do the will of God. Okay, That's what it is. A follower, it's not about how clothes you wear, it's not about what country you're from, it's not about your skin color, it's not about your education or intelligence, it's about doing God's will, That's what it means. And he said, this is one of the most important prayers that you can pray, but he said, it's one of the hardest prayers you can pray. Because when you say, when I say, right, I want, Lord, your kingdom come, I want your authority to be at work in my life because I wanna do your will. What you are saying in effect is this. God, whatever you want me to do, I will obey you even if I don't like it. And I will accept whatever you send into my life even if I don't understand it, right? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in your heaven. And you will never pray that prayer, I will never pray that prayer, unless the guy on the other end of the phone is a loving heavenly Father who knows me better than I know myself, who knows every thought I have before I have it, who created me, who knows what he wants to do with my life, and he says, listen, I'm gonna send things in your life that aren't always gonna feel good. You're not always going to get chosen for the Pro Bowl. I have bigger things for you to do. There are going to be things that disappoint you. There are going to be things that hurt you. There are going to be things that come your way that you absolutely do not want. But I want you to be willing to receive them anyway, right? That's what he's talking about. Thy kingdom come, then thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's speak about Jesus just for a minute. I, my sense is about Jesus, that he knew his purpose um, in life um, long before it matured on the cross. Okay, now, it, it's hard, the, the whole idea of the incarnation is, is, is a very mysterious thing. We all know that, or those of us who are familiar with the Bible. How does, it, how does someone become fully God and fully man, and he's not, he's not walking, he's not play-acting? He's really hungry. He's really lonely. He's really struggling with this and that. All this is what is said about Jesus. But my sense is, if you read the Gospels carefully, Jesus knew his whole lifelong, even he was a little 12 or 13-year-old kid, do you remember that one episode of his childhood, the only one the Bible has? He says, I must be about my father's business. And he was with a bunch of adults in the temple talking about the Bible. And Jesus knew this. He knew his whole lifelong that if I was gonna experience the life that God wanted for me. If you were going to experience the life that God wanted for you, there was only one way, and that was that if he went to the cross, because the enemy to the life that you've always wanted and dreamed somewhere is true, the enemy of having that life is your sin. It's the penalty and the power of sin. And said so the only way that can be dealt with is if I go to the cross. In fact, there were three times when Jesus said, even twice in Matthew's gospel, and, and it's funny how the disciples missed it, Like we miss things. And Jesus said flat out, no metaphor, no figurative language. He said, listen, I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be crucified. The powers in in, in Jerusalem are going to be against me. I'm going to die a horrible death, right? I know where I'm going. But when it finally comes to pass, Matthew 26, between the um, Last Supper and the arrest, there's this moment where Jesus is in the garden, okay, in, in the Mount of Olives, and he prays a prayer, a very famous prayer, okay? Here's my paraphrase, but it's very close to what the Bible says. He says, Father, okay, our Father who art in heaven, he says, this is a big one, okay? If it's possible, if it's po- this is Jesus, not, I can see me doing that, get me out of this, okay? He said, if it's possible, Get me out of this, okay? That's what Jesus said. But nevertheless, not what I want, but what you want, okay? That's what Jesus said. Not what I want, but you want. And because he prayed that prayer, and I don't think he was play acting. I think he he meant it. He said, listen, I don't know how I'm gonna get through this, but I have a loving heavenly Father who, who knows me, who cares about me, who can even make something out of this horrible situation. And because he said yes, he was victorious, and he's the protagonist of the greatest story that was ever told. And Jesus is saying, listen, what is true of me should be true of you. God, your real faith is rooted, rooted in God as Father. I hope you know him as Father, Right? Even when you're avoiding him, even when you don't like him, you're willing to say, I'm going to say yes, a bigger yes to your authority because I know you love me and you trust me. Real faith is saying a bigger yes to God's authority. And finally, real faith is worked out on the ground level of our lives. Right? What are these? It goes in the first half of this, this model prayer to focusing on God, his name, his kingdom, his will. And then it does get to the requests and the petitions, right? But really what these three requests, they're categories in a sense, right? Not everything that could be prayed about is here, but this is what it's basically saying is it's, it's boiling down all of human need, right? All of human need, in, it, both in your immediate needs, right? Daily bread is a Bible way of saying, what's my immediate needs, right? My spiritual needs, forgiveness, and my need for moral courage and moral strength. Lead me not into temptation, deliver me from evil. And he's gonna tie these three most fundamental needs To a deep independence on God. Saying, this is what prayer, let me boil it all down for you. You begin with God, who is an all powerful, almighty creator, who, it's not just God, doesn't say, Oh, sovereign in heaven. Then who'd want to come? He's a father. He's your father. And I know some of us in this room, we haven't had perfect fathers. So it's hard for us. I didn't have a father at all. I died when I was four months old. But you know what? God sent me some proxies along the way until I could meet the perfect father, okay? The perfect father who makes even the best father that your your grandfather, your buddy's father that you idolized, he makes even the best father is just a faint shadow of who God is and the way he's painted in the scriptures. And if you understand him as father, you can say yes to whatever he sends your way because he loves you. And what he's saying here is you want to you experience the life you've always wanted and dreamed somewhere is true. You got to start saying yes. And it begins with your, your everyday needs. Now, some of you said this. I had this one friend say to me when I was talking about this this week in some room. And they said, you know, Rob, it's a really interesting prayer, but I haven't prayed about a meal for a long time. Maybe people in... In, in, you know, in Africa or parts of the third world or wherever. Maybe there are some people that miss a meal, but we don't. I said, you know, you're right. But I don't think daily bread is just about the next meal. right? It's about your immediate needs. How about things like, do you feel loved? Do you feel worthy? Do you feel like your, wor- your, your work, anybody know, cares about what you do, the worth of your work? How about... You're concerned about your worst fears being realized. these are your immediate needs, right? Do you have a God that you can go to instinctively and say, "Listen, Lord, Father, your will be done now, um, help me in my immediate needs today." And then it says, "Lead us uh, excuse me, forgive our debts as we have forgiven our debtors, right? It's talking about your spiritual needs. You say, well, Pastor, I, Rob, I was I've been a Christian for 10, 20, 30 years, and my forgiveness is done. No, it's not. <laughs> right? I, I, do you really know what the Christian life is really all about? You know, in Jesus forgave the the he, he, he on the cross, he solved in one way the penalty of my sin. Romans 8 1 says, there is now no condemnation. All right, I'm never going to be condemned for my sin because Jesus was condemned for. It. But what about the guilt and the shame that I walk around with every day? See, I still got to deal with that. What about the guilt I feel for wrong things that I still do in my life? What am I going to do about that? Right? You, I need forgiveness every day. But you know, a lot of us we walk around with it. We hold on to it because God's not a heavenly father. God's someone we gotta babble, God's someone we gotta satisfy, God's someone who doesn't really know what we want, doesn't even know that we exist, and the last thing I wanna do is come to him with my problems, so we just hold on to them. But when God is rooted as Father, right, I can come to him every day and say, forgive me. And what does this mean? You know, unless you forgive other people, God's not gonna forgive you. I thought that, what does that mean? It's not saying you earn your forgiveness, all right? He's saying this, we couldn't even call him Father, right, unless there was a massive work of grace in my life. This whole prayer, this whole sermon assumes that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. But what Jesus is saying in his very Jesus-like way is this, if you have experienced God's forgiveness, it ought to manifest itself in the way in which you forgive others, right? It's the proof of your forgiveness that you forgive others, and if you're in this room and say, listen, I, I'm not very good at forgiving people. There's people in my life that I have refused to forgive. I can't forgive. Well, then maybe it's time to go back to square one. Have you experienced the forgiveness of God? Do you know how to nurture that in your life in growing measure every day? Because those who have truly been forgiven then can forgive others, right? And then lastly, there's My immediate needs. Do you go to God every day? You say, well, this is too small for God. No, that's why it says daily bread. It's too small for God. God doesn't care if I'm lonely. God doesn't care if I can't make ends meet. God doesn't care if I'm frustrated about this. God doesn't care if I'm not going to get into the pro bowl. Yes, he does care because he's a heavenly father. Right? He's a heavenly father. He cares about your daily needs. He certainly cares about your spiritual needs, right? He says, listen, I went to the cross so I could do this for you. I I love to just pour out my forgiveness in your life, but you gotta come and ask for it. And then the moral courage that you need and that I need to deal with the temptations in my life, right? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You want to experience the life you've always wanted and dreamed somewhere is true. This is it. This simple prayer. To live this simple prayer. It begins with an understanding that's rooted in God as Father. And then it grows by an increased yes to his authority in you. Where do you, friend, need to pray today Thy kingdom come. Bring it on. It's in a relationship. It's in your work. It's in some fear that you've been carrying around and and it's been running your life, right? Bring it on. Your kingdom come. I'm gonna say yes. I'm gonna make room for something I don't feel good about because I have a heavenly father, right? That's what we're talking about. What about as a church, where do we, this prayer, by the way, is for the church, our Father, right? Can apply it individually. Where do we need to say a greater yes to God's authority? Maybe we need to give more. Maybe we need to reach more, right? Maybe we need to start caring about what God cares about, right? Like your kingdom come, your will be done, and not the silly, foolish things that we care about, right, if, if, you know, this prayer is in the very middle of the Sermon on the Mount. There's about 50 verses that come before it and about 50 verses that come after it. It's the heart of the heart of the message of Jesus, right, saying, you want, I, I came to give you life and life to the full. This is how you live it. Your in-breathing and your out-breathing is in this prayer. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God and Father, I thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. Lord, we we love you and need you, and I just thank you for everyone in this room. I thank you, God, for the privilege, the amazing, um, uh, unbelievable truth that you came from heaven to earth in the person of your son to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. We didn't even think that we, we didn't even know our need and you took care of it. When Jesus said, not what I want, but what you want, he opened up a whole new way of life for us. Lord, help us in this room today. I'm confident there's a lot of people like me who still see God as something other than who he is. Your father, my father, our father, whose love and compassion is inexhaustible. Help us, Lord, to experience him today help us to open our lives and our church more fully to him today thy kingdom come bring it on thy will be done in my life and our church uh, on earth as it is in heaven help us to learn to be more ready more responsive lord to come to you just like a child would come to his father for our daily needs, our spiritual needs, and our need for moral courage. And we ask this in Jesus'